Tonight we're in chapter 10 of our study of knowing God. And last week we talked about the wisdom of God. And tonight we're looking at how God blesses us with wisdom, how he communicates wisdom to us as his people. And so the title of this chapter is God's wisdom and ours. And there's certainly a difference, isn't there? between God's wisdom and ours. God's wisdom is perfect. God's wisdom is infinite. God's wisdom knows everything, how it all fits together. Uh, ours is not like that. Ours, ours is finite. Ours makes mistakes. In fact, he starts out the chapter by talking about the attributes of God and some of the different ways that we can think about God's attributes. And one of the ways that theologians have talked about the attributes of God is the difference between the incommunicable attributes of God and the communicable attributes of God. So the incommunicable, meaning those attributes of God that cannot be communicated to mankind in any way, shape, or form, are the attributes of God that define what God is. They're part of his deity, his divinity, and so things like God's uh, infinity, his simplicity, his essence, if you will, his, uh, sometimes it's referred to as his aseity. It is these attributes of godness, if you will, that cannot be shared in any way with mortal man or finite man. It is who God is. But then there are also attributes that we might say are communicable, meaning that in some sense, they can be shared with, bestowed upon God's creatures made in his image. Now, even with those, they're not going to be in us as they are in God. Because in, in each of these attributes, and usually under this heading are what we would say are the moral attributes of God, such as his love, mercy, grace, kindness, things like this. And we can emulate those attributes of God as we seek to reflect his character, the character of Christ in our lives. But God in his display of those attributes, they're perfect, right? So he's perfect in wisdom. He's perfect in goodness and grace and love. We are not perfect and we're not certainly not infant or we're not infinite in those attributes. But those are the kind of attributes that can be shared with us. And so when God made man, he communicated to him certain qualities corresponding to his moral attributes. This is what the Bible means when it tells us that God made man in his own image. So there are certain elements that God has bestowed upon us so that we would be shaped in his image and, and be able to carry out the responsibilities in the world that he has given to us to have dominion over all of creation. And so these are the moral qualities of the divine image. These moral qualities that God has blessed us with being made in his image, they were affected by the fall, right? So uh, Adam and Eve would have been, in terms of holiness, they would have had no sin. In terms of love for God, love for one another, it would not have been tainted by sin. And so when sin entered into the picture, those elements of the attributes of God that he has blessed us with 
they were marred. They were defaced, if you will, and broken. But a part of what God is doing in salvation through his plan of redemption is he is renewing us to uh, live those attributes once again. And so Christians who have been saved by the grace of God, redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, have been blessed with the indwelling spirit. And the spirit is sanctifying us, renewing us and producing his fruit in our lives. And the fruit of the spirit is essentially the moral attributes of God. Love, wisdom, gentleness, goodness, mercy. So the spirit is renewing us to display these attributes of God. And those will be fully restored in glory. So they were lost at the fall, but being renewed through the sanctification of the spirit, even now as Christians, but then that work will be perfected in glory. One of those attributes that God has given to us is wisdom. So God has blessed us with at least some measure of wisdom to live in this world. In fact, God says that we can ask him for wisdom and he will bless us with wisdom if we ask in faith. And so he asked the question in the chapter, where can we find this wisdom? Where is this wisdom to be found? First of all, a foundation for it is reverence for God. And that's really the main theme of Proverbs, isn't it? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So to reverence, to fear God. And he says, also, we must learn to receive God's word. The word of God, the truth of God is a treasure house of God's wisdom. So we can go to it and read and meditate and think on it and find God's wisdom there. And so certainly one thing that we can say with absolute certainty, and that is when James chapter one says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God and God will give it to him. Certainly that assumes that he is also seeking that wisdom in the truths that God has given. It wouldn't make any sense, would it, to pray to get wisdom from God and ignoring the main source of wisdom that he's given us in his word. So uh, it's, it's there for us to be found in his word. And so we must ask him for it, but we must also seek it. So we need to learn to receive his word. One of the things he brings to our focus in the chapter is what wisdom is not. What wisdom is not. And he says sometimes Christians go astray because they develop a wrong sense of what wisdom is, what they think the wisdom of God is. And he, he makes this statement in the chapter. He says, wisdom is not a deepened insight into the providential meaning and purpose of events going on around us an ability to see why God has done what he has done in a particular case and what he is going to do next. He uses an illustration. If you read the chapter, he uses this illustration to uh, discuss this wrong conception of wisdom. He says, it's kind of like you standing at a train station and you see the trains and you see how they're operating, the timing of the trains, which tracks they're on. You get some general sense of what's going on, but you can't see the big picture. 
But then let's say you get invited into the control room where you see where all the trains are on the track, even miles down the road and where they're coming from and where they're going. And then you get a sense of the whole and you can see how it all fits together. And he says, sometimes as Christians, we think that that is the kind of wisdom that God will give us when we ask him. But that's not the kind of wisdom that the Bible offers or guarantees to us. There, this would fall underneath the, the providence of God, the, the decree or the plan of God, things that only God can know how it all fits together that he has not necessarily told us about and doesn't promise that he will tell us about. So, for example, when something difficult comes into our lives, we want to know why, right? That's one of the questions that we ask. Why did this happen? What's the purpose for this? In asking that question, really what we're asking for is the omniscience of God. To be able to see how it all fits together. Because in some sense, we can't really answer the question of why this event happens without seeing other events in its relationship to that and other things that God is doing in our lives. So to really get a grasp of why this one thing has happened in our lives, we would have to be able to step back and see the whole thing from the control room, if you will. And, but that's something that's only in the mind of God that, that he hasn't shared with us. And we probably couldn't even receive it if he were to, because of our finiteness and God is infinite. So it is wrong for us to think of wisdom as being able to see things from God's perspective because we can't see things from God's perspective because he's infinite and we're not. He's omniscient and we're not. So this is a wrong view of wisdom. But he says when Christians adopt a view of wisdom kind of along these lines, it can lead to all kinds of frustrations, disappointment, disillusionment, and even depression. We think I should, I've asked God for wisdom. He should be able to tell me why this is going on. And that can lead to discouragement, disappointment, and wondering, sometimes Christians wondering, well, maybe I'm not living my Christian life the way that I should. Maybe I'm not spiritual enough. Maybe I'm not doing this enough. And, and it can turn into a, an incredible weight on them that can become discouraging. So he says, what we need instead is not to blame ourselves for not understanding how it all fits together, but to realize that's not what we were meant to have to begin with. We weren't meant to have that, that control room view of everything, how it all fits together. So he says, we need some realism. We need, we need a sense of what the Bible really describes to us, how we live wisely in, in the world. And he says, instead of a control room view, what we have is more like the view of driving down the road. Driving down the road, we don't ask big picture questions like, why does this road curve here? Why does this road go down or up here? Why, why is that car parked over there? We don't ask those kind of big picture questions and wonder why, how all these events fit together. When we're driving down the road, we just want to see what's in front of us and make the best choice with what we can see from the viewpoint that we do have. So if you're driving down the road, you can't see five miles down the road. You can't see around a bend in the curve. 
You just have to see what's in your line of vision and make the right choices within that line of vision that you have. So he says, wisdom is like driving. What matters in driving is the speed and the appropriateness of your reactions to things and the soundness of your judgment as to what scope a situation gives you. With driving, you just, you're, you're, you're dealing with what is there, with the cars that are around you, with the, the immediate path of the road in front of you. That is how we are called to live the Christian life and to trust God, if you will, for what's around the bend that we can't see. You simply try to see and do the right thing in the actual situation that presents itself. The effect of divine wisdom is to enable you and me to do just that in the actual situations of everyday life. Taking God's word as our driving manual, if you will, and using that to teach us how to make the right choices with what lies in our field of view, in our situation where we are. And he says one of the best places in scripture to teach us this realistic view of the use of God's wisdom is Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes, what we find out is that the pursuit of wisdom does not provide an understanding of the reasons of God's various doings and the ordinary course of providence. You read through Ecclesiastes and you can see that if he tries to figure out everything, how it all fits together, he gets discouraged, doesn't he? One of the things that troubles the uh, Solomon, the writer of Ecclesiastes, is he sees good people dying and wicked people dying in the same event at the same time. And he says, That's, that doesn't seem just, that doesn't seem fair. And he wants a bigger picture view. But he doesn't get that bigger picture view. And so it can lead to disillusionment, which is why you get the phrase vanity of vanities. Everything's empty. Everything's frustrating. So the pursuit of wisdom does not give us this broad view of how God's providence is at work in the world. He says the real basis of wisdom is a frank acknowledgement that the world's course is enigmatic. It's a puzzle. When we look at the world and see how all of these pieces are, we can't see the whole puzzle. We can't see how all the pieces fit together. It's a mystery to us. It's a puzzle. That much of what happens is quite inexplicable to us. And that most occurrences under the sun, which is a favorite phrase of Ecclesiastes, bear no outward sign of a rational moral God ordering them at all. Now, of course, we know that's not the way the world is, right? But that's where faith comes in. Because when, if we, from our vantage point, were to look at the things that are going on in the world, it doesn't seem like there's a plan sometimes. We wonder, how is this all fitting together? But we can't look at it from that big picture point of view. God has not offered that to us. God's ordering of events is inscrutable. Much as you want to make it out, you cannot do so. The harder you try to understand the divine purpose in the ordinary providential course of events, the more obsessed and oppressed you grow with the apparent aimlessness of everything, and the more you are tempted to conclude that life really is as pointless as it looks. 
He says the conclusion, vanity of vanities, is the conclusion we come to if we try to make sense of the world from a perspective that we don't have. From an omniscient divine perspective. But he says the truth is that God in his wisdom to make and keep us humble and to teach us to walk by faith has hidden from us almost everything that we should like to know about the providential purposes which he is working out in the churches and in our own lives. So God is doing something, but he has not yet revealed it all to us. And in fact, he has done that intentionally so that we would grow in our faith, so that we would have to depend upon him, to trust in him. So wisdom is not a, an omniscient viewpoint from which we can see how all of the providential circumstances fit together. So what is wisdom then? He says Ecclesiastes teaches us that too. It tells us to not be frustrated with what we can't know, It just tells us, here are the things that we are responsible for. Here's wisdom. Things like fear God and keep his commandments. He says that at the end, doesn't he? Fear God and keep his commandments. That's the whole duty of man. So we can't answer the question, why does this righteous person and why does this evil person, why do they die in the same tragedy? That doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem just. We can't answer that question. All we can do is take the next step in front of us, which is to fear God and obey his commandments. To trust and obey him. Trust the wisdom of God and obey his precepts. To reverence the Lord. To walk in fear before him. To worship him. These are all things that Ecclesiastes calls us to do. In wisdom, when we can't see how it all fits together. Be humble before him. Take your prayers seriously, Ecclesiastes says. Mean what you pray when you come to God. Do good. Just be kind and do good things to those around you. In your life, remember that God will hold you to account for the choices, for the actions that you do. He says, eschew, avoid things that you'll be ashamed of when God holds us accountable. Live in the present and enjoy God's good gifts. Ecclesiastes says we can't see how everything fits together. If you were to pursue wealth for the sake of wealth, and that's the the whole meaning of life, you're going to be frustrated. But if you take the things that God has given you in his providence and see them as gifts from God, you can enjoy them. You can enjoy them now. Seek grace to work hard at whatever life calls you to do. So give it your all, not because that work is going to give you your meaning in life. God gives you your meaning in life, but work to the best of your ability. Work hard at all that you do because of what God has laid in front of us, the opportunities that he's given us. Enjoy your work as you do it. Put all of yourself into it. Leave providence and the measure of the worth of your deeds to God. Sometimes we get too focused on, is anything that I'm doing going to make a difference in someone's life? Is, 
is, are, is anybody going to remember me in the next generation? Is this going to impact the next generation? That's trying to measure your works in a way that you can't see. You just have to leave that to God. And you can't control the providential things around you or know the providential things around you. Take advantage of the opportunities that lie before you. I was thinking about that in relationship to James chapter 4. Remember in James chapter 4, James warns those, he says, don't say tomorrow we're going to go into this city and buy and sell and get gain. He says, what you should say is if the Lord wills, we will go and do this or that. And then right after that, he says, uh, to the one who sees to do good, knows to do good and does not do it to him, it is sin. In other words, I think what James is saying there is you don't know the providential workings of God. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but you do know what's right in front of you today. And if you take this opportunity or ignore this opportunity that God has put in front of you today and don't take advantage of it to do good, then you're sinning. In essence, he says, you're presuming upon God by thinking that opportunity to do good will be there tomorrow. But it may not be. And so take advantage of the opportunities that lie before you today. What grounds and sustains this way of wisdom? What is it that, that gives us the foundation and the, the resources to live out this kind of wisdom, to fear God and keep his commandments and to worship him and to live joyfully in the moment. He says, this is what sustains it. The conviction that the inscrutable God of providence is the wise and gracious God of creation and redemption. So the God who brought the world into being and made it beautiful and the God who is redeeming people and saving them and rescuing them by grace, that is the same God who controls providence. That's a God who can be trusted and leaned upon. And so we can trust him and rejoice in him even when we cannot discern his path. That's what can undergird that living out of wisdom. And so what is the fruit of wisdom then? The fruit of wisdom, he says, consists in choosing the best means to the best end. That's true of God as well as of us. Doing the best thing and the best means to accomplish the best end. And so God is doing that in us. God's gift of wisdom to us is part of the process of restoring the relationship between himself and human beings. One of the things that God is doing in giving us wisdom is to draw us close to him and draw us back to him in love and relationship. But this wisdom is not a sharing in all his knowledge as if we had that divine viewpoint No, this wisdom is a disposition to confess that he is wise and to cleave to him and live for him in the light of his word through no matter what, through thick and thin, through difficulty and through good times. So the effect of his gift of wisdom is to make us more humble, more joyful, more godly, more quick-sighted as to his will, more resolute in the doing of it and less troubled in our lives. That's the fruit of wisdom. In essence, the fruit of wisdom is Christ likeness, peace and humility and love 
And the root of it is faith in Christ as the manifested wisdom of God. He concludes the chapter with this statement. He says, the kind of wisdom that God waits to give to those who ask him is a wisdom that will bind us to himself, a wisdom that will find expression in a spirit of faith and a life of faithfulness. If we were to kind of put a definition on wisdom that he's described in this book, at least our wisdom that God gives to us to live out in the world, it is not to see things the way God sees them from an omniscient viewpoint. It is to live out God's instructions in a skillful way in our lives that he has blessed us with. In fact, the Hebrew word for wisdom is chokmah, which in various contexts can mean skill. So the people that God chose to construct the tabernacle were people of skill, same word as wisdom. How do you develop skill? Well, skill is not just knowledge, right? I I can just just take an example that might be familiar to all of us. Uh, Let's say playing a sport like basketball. That's a skill. I can lay before you a book of the rules of basketball. I can even show you videos of people playing basketball, but you're not going to get that skill without actually doing it, right? You've got to go out and you've got to dribble the ball. You've got to learn how to shoot. You've got to, tr- you've got to develop the, the muscle memory and the right positions and the skills to actually do that sport. Biblical wisdom is much like that. It is, we have the truths of God's word, but wisdom is also taking those truths and then seeking to put them into practice in, in different situations of life. And for that, we need to depend upon God and his indwelling spirit, rely upon the truth that he has given us in his word, and really try not to look too far down the road. Just make the right choices with the knowledge that God has given us and in the situations in which he has put us. And it takes a long time in the Christian life to develop that skill. Just like any other skill, you get better at it the more that you put it into practice. The more that you put the different uh, qualities of God's word into practice, the more skillful, the more wise you become. And so uh, this this is God's wisdom. He has blessed us with it. He says he will give it to us, but we also have a responsibility to seek it and to find it in the truths that he has given us.